Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Primary Care Podcast. This is your boy, Dr. Mark Liss. Before we get into today's episode, we're going to hit the primarycarepod at gmail.com inbox uh, to talk about a joke that somebody sent me. Uh, hey, Dr. List, uh, with all the vaccine COVID talk, did you know that Eminem, the rapper, uh, has started his own vaccine company? Oh, that's actually uh, that's actually pretty interesting. Um, yeah, apparently Eminem, the, the rapper, has started a vaccine company. You only got one shot. Okay, that was really, really bad. I guess the side effects probably include vomiting, mom's spaghetti, maybe knees weak, arms are heavy. I don't know. Okay, let's start the podcast. That was terrible. The primary Care Podcast is written and edited by a family physician for an audience of other physicians, nurse practitioners, physicians, assistants, residents, and medical students interested in primary care topics. This is not a podcast for patients and should not be used as medical advice. This is also a personal podcast produced on my own time and solely reflecting my personal opinions. Statements of this podcast do not reflect the views or policies of my employer, past or present, or any other organization with which I may be affiliated. Thank you for listening to the Primary Care Podcast. I'm Dr. Mark List, here to bring you the latest news, guidelines, and updates from primary care sources around the globe. Keeping it under 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry and I'm not that smart. All right, everybody. Welcome back. I'm still reeling at how terrible that joke was. Oh, my great googly moogly. Woo. All right. So uh, this uh, I'm I'm currently uh, doing this uh, podcast in my office at work. Um, Over my lunch break, I was supposed to be making a training video for a a new EMR update uh, for our our system, but uh, the test system is down, so I can't make that training video. So I'm making a podcast episode. Um, I didn't have anything. um, I got a couple of things on the back burner, but I was reading this article this morning, um, and I thought this was a really fascinating take. This is not clinically relevant to you at all. I just think it's really interesting to me. Um, and, and I really enjoyed this topic. So hopefully you do too. And, and it is, uh, maybe more relevant clinically in the future, uh, in our practice depends on how important, uh, this type of travel becomes, but the article is from Ars Technica and it's, uh, and the article is, this is a, uh, uh, it's based on a scientific article, but the article says, we don't know why, but being in space causes our bodies or causes us to destroy our blood. And space anemia is the, the title of the, the article. And so for those of you who don't know, um, space travel is associated with numerous effects on the human body. Uh, the one that's been most studied for the longest amount of time uh, is osteoporosis, right? For every uh, X percent of time that, the, that astronauts are in space, they lose bone density at a pretty significant rate. Um, because we don't have the artificial gravity that, or we don't have gravity that causes us to use our bones or to uh, uh, have weight bearing, which is really, really, really important for bone development and growth. Now, the more interesting thing, so that, that's, that's been around forever and hopefully they figure that out. That's why they're starting to have uh, astronauts run on treadmills in space and use some resistance training in space to try to uh, have that artificial gravity. But artificial gravity also does a ton of other things to the human body, which are really interesting. Um, so you may or may not know, but uh, when a human being goes up in space, 10% of their volume, their circulatory volume in their blood cells is actually redistributed. And this process is likely due to gravity and lower than lower resistance at the level of the capillaries. And so the blood volume actually is distributed to the tissues. And also, so not only um, not only gets pushed away from the central uh, vascular system into the tissues, but in a in a very um, 
intuitive uh, direction also goes up to the head, right? Because when you and I are staying upright, obviously we don't have any swelling in our face or our head because the blood's all closer, you know, down to our legs and gravity keeps it down out of our brain. But in space, you get a significant increase in intracranial pressure, for example. Um, they call it spaceflight-associated neuroocular syndrome, where that increased pressure on the skull can cause temporary hearing loss, brain edema, and some changes to the eye, so you might look different. It also, that, that change in the pressure where the blood volume is distributed also then affects even like things like the heart shape, right? So our hearts are you know, oval shaped kind of, you know, the size of a fist, whatever, in the middle of our chest. And the way that the um, kinetic engineers describe it as, it's like if you take a water balloon, right? And instead of water, which our heart, you know, it's smaller chambers at the top, bigger chambers at the bottom, and it looks like a water balloon kind of filled with water. Suddenly you change that water balloon to an air-filled balloon. So you get more of a rounded appearance where the atrium are bigger, you know, and, you know, on par with some of the ventricles and, or, or more, um, more similar to that. And the blood volume distribution uh, significantly gets altered. Uh, that also then impacts muscles. And, and so obviously things don't work quite as well. But on return to Earth, um, gravity again pulls the blood into the abdomen and the legs. Um, and so in combination with that loss of blood volume and then atrophy of the heart, atrophy of the blood vessel, uh, mus uh, smooth muscle, atrophy of some of the other body muscles, um, people, astronauts, when they come back, oftentimes experience significant orthostatic intolerance, right? So uh, basically like some of your POTS patients, your postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome patients, a lot of astronauts experience that same type of syncope, near syncope, uh, difficulty standing, difficulty exercising, difficulty tolerating um, changes to their vascular, uh, their vascular volume. So at, these are all well-known and well-documented changes, but this article is from 2019. This is a, a, the, not the article I read, the title, but the article that I, that from Ars Technica in the popular media is based on this scientific research called Characterizing the Effect of Exposure of Microgravity on Anemia, that more space is worse. And basically they found that if you have your patients or people go on these short-term space, space flights. So we saw this with, you know, Amazon. We saw this with, you know, this new, this new age of like, oh, we're going to briefly go up into space, you know, do a low Earth orbit and then basically come back. It's a really short flight. Um, as space tourism becomes more of a thing, um, these shorter flights do see some of this um, movement of, of vascular volume, okay? But because of that, you actually get, you actually get increased hemoglobin concentrations uh, significantly in, 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 short, in short cases. The effect is even um, bigger if that duration of the space flight is less than five days. You can get a 1.0 uh, a, a change in your hemoglobin just from that change in the volume distribution. Even on intermediate flights of like two weeks, you can see half a point of hemoglobin increase. But what's really fascinating is how the human body basically adapts to very long space flights. So space flights that are three to six months in length, 
you actually get a significant drop in your hemoglobin. And again, that makes sense, right? If you have decreased vascular volume, you don't want that hemo concentration, which can be associated with blood clots and a bunch of other things. So I think that, um, you know, the human body adapts. And interestingly, you don't see these effects short term. So it's not directly impacted by EPO or by um, erythropoietin pr uh, production of red blood cells, because that's a seven day, that's a seven day, um, a seven day course, right? From EPO affecting, uh, uh, creating new blood cells. That's only a seven day process. What is likely happening is either an increase in turnover, right? Uh, where, or, or a decrease in production, but we don't see a decrease in production initially. We see a large amount of hemolysis, right? So you actually have an increased rate of hemolysis. So in this study, basically they looked at um, this this researcher in Canada, who's a PM&R doctor, but specializes in space medicine, which is a really, really niche field, I guess, um, but basically looked at carbon monoxide production. So they had these astronauts breathe into a can and steal the can and then bring it back when they were done with their space flight. And it looks like there's a ton of basically hemolytic anemia happening in space. Uh, the, the stat they throw out is that on Earth, the average human body processes, destroys, kind of turns over 2 million red blood cells every second on Earth. But in space, based on these calculations, they now, we now think that astronauts destroy 3 million red blood cells every second. So there's a massive amount of hemolytic anemia. And why this matters is this research is really interesting for many, many reasons, mostly because I'm a huge nerd and I enjoy this, but also what this could mean with the future of space travel, space tourism, if we end up having colonies, there's a whole lot of people that might be impacted by the increase in hemoglobinemia. We also see a dramatic drop for longer astronauts or longer space flights, whereas patients come back to Earth, they have persistent and long-lasting anemia following this kind of quote-unquote space anemia, which turns out is actually a type of hemolytic anemia. Um, so interestingly, um, you can drop all the way, uh, you know, a week or two after your space flight, if you've been up there for three to six months, you can lose almost, uh, you can almost lose like two whole grams per deciliter of hemoglobin um, compared to pre-flight. Um, just based on being out that far in space and the changes that your body undergoes. So this also matters if we talk, start talking about longer space flights. And we're talking about sending manned missions to Mars, et cetera. Like the longer that people are in space, we might need to start having this, you know, this might end up being more of an issue for um, human beings traveling. Regardless, this isn't clinically relevant, but some of this research that they're doing does have clinical value, right? Um, number one is how does this affect, you know, we can learn more about how certain, um, how certain conditions can affect the human body, how the, you know, process of initiating this hemolysis or then restarting the production of hemoglobin afterwards uh, could impact human bodies. Um, number two is how microgravity or loss of any gravity um, impacts the human body, not only from a bone density standpoint, and then how we can then use this to maybe our benefit um, in kind of treating patients here on earth, question mark, or again, for future space flights. Um, and then number three is, I just find it really fascinating. Uh, and hopefully then there's also then discussions about 
how this could impact our patients with POTS, patients with syncope that's related to some of these factors. So um, regardless, I, I, again, I think that there's, um, there's really no clinical benefit, um, but I really do think that I personally enjoy reading these things, hearing more about them. Um, I hope that this was a good distraction from maybe your local COVID surge, um, your your Omicron surge. Hopefully this is a, uh, a fun learning topic that you also enjoy. Um, but most importantly, I hope that wherever you are and however your clinic and your health care organization is dealing with this Omicron surge, um, you know, we here locally are just getting absolutely dump trucked um, by an increase in cases and volumes um, in the clinic. I know hospital volumes here in the next week or two are supposed to go up dramatically. I hope wherever you are that you can have time for things that are fun and things that take your brain away from the stress of clinic. And I wish you guys nothing but the best. And I thank you all for listening. And hopefully this podcast uh, is helpful to you. Hopefully it distracts you from life, but also improves your ability to think about the human body and practice medicine and be a good family practitioner um, so or a primary care provider wherever you are. So again, uh, thanks for tuning in this week. Uh, next week, we'll be back with a normal topic. But again, um, at my desk and I had half hour to kill that I was supposed to be doing some training videos. So I thought a podcast was uh, appropriate. So thanks, everybody. Have a great week. Bye.